If you have your Bibles, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. This morning, the title of my message is The Singularity of Christianity. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 6 in particular. And uh, before I read, let me just uh, share this statistic I came across while preparing for this message. Uh, this is the, the Pew Research um, poll that was taken in 2014 um, among those who, people who are religious. And this is what was discovered. This was what came across. 66% of Americans who call themselves Christians believe that many religions lead to eternal life. All right? Now, among Protestants, okay, that includes uh, evangelical, mainline, and, uh, uh, and others, uh, that, that statistic, that percentage is 62%, okay, which is still terrible. Among Catholics, Catholics, 79% of Catholics believe that other religions lead to eternal life. Um, Mormons believe that 40% of other religions lead to eternal life. Okay, And not even their religion leads to eternal life, but less of them believe that other religions lead to eternal life. Jehovah Witnesses. Only 8% of Jehovah Witnesses believe that other religions besides themselves uh, lead to eternal life. Now, they think they're right, okay? But their ladder is leaning on the wrong building. But, uh, it, you know, those are despicable percentages. Now, among evangelical Christians, okay, those who supposedly believe and know the word of God, 52% of evangelical Christians believe that other religions lead to eternal life. That is alarming, church. You know, why are we, why is the church, um, in trouble the way it is today? And that statistic describes the church. It's because the church is not preaching the word of God. Those in the pew, do not know what the Word of God says. They do not know what they are to believe. And so, church, that is why it's so important that we, as Emmanuel, as um, as Emmanuel Baptist Church, we preach and teach the Word of God. We go line by line through each book of the Bible, so that you might know. We're not here to preach on your felt needs. 
we're not here to scratch where you itch and what you want to hear. We're not here to tickle your ears. We are here to say, thus says the Lord. This is what the Word of God says. It's not about what we think. It's about what the Word says. And so um, Paul here this morning in our text is uh, very specific about what we believe. When it comes to Christianity, it is not an inclusive faith, okay? It just doesn't include everybody. We're not talking about um, uh, a universalism here, that God is just a God of love and he just loves and is going to accept everybody. No, when it comes to Christianity, it is a very exclusive religion. And that sounds very offensive. But Paul is clear that there is a oneness in in Christianity and we're going to look at the seven ones this morning in verses 4 through 6. Um and as we do that, let me just uh go through the first let me read the first 6 verses of Ephesians one more time. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Father, this text this morning is your text. It is your truth. It is your word. Lord, I pray that our feelings or what we think would not get in a way with of what God you have spoken through your living word. Encourage our hearts. God, you want unity in this place. But you want unity around these specific doctrines in particular. Help us, God to know and believe and proclaim without being ashamed, God, what your word says to each and every one of us. And we'll trust you and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, so we're in the book of Ephesians. And we've looked at the first three chapters uh, in particular, and they're all about doctrine. Now in chapter 4, uh, we've been focused on the, the practical aspect of living out our Christian faith based upon the foundations of chapters 1 through 3. Okay, And in knowing those truths, Paul says now, walk worthy, walk worthy in uh, humility and in gentleness and in patience and in having love for one another that you and I might protect, preserve the unity of the body of Christ that, that God through the Holy Spirit has created in this place. And so as we've looked at those uh, specific aspects of how are, we are to walk and that we're to have unity, we're to have unity, church, in some specific things. This is not unity at any cost. This is not uh, unity over anything or everything or it doesn't matter what we have unity in no paul is very specific and he go he's taking us back to doctrine okay we've looked at doctrine in chapters one through three we've talked about some specifics in verses one through three now he takes us back to doctrine in verses four through six in areas that we must particularly have unity in we're going to see the exclusivity of christianity again it's not inclusive it's not ecumenical it's not universal it's not just about everyone Christianity is exclusive. And why is it exclusive? Because not everyone likes the light. When they hear the truth, most people aren't surrendering or running to the light, believing the light, the the truth of the gospel that will set them free. No, They are in love with their sin. They don't want to change. They don't want to repent of sin. They would rather continue to live in darkness rather than coming to the light of life in Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about the exclusivity of the gospel and The message of the church, it is a very narrow gate, okay, that not everyone enters. And so, as Paul talks about these specific doctrines, um, what he's going to do in verses 4 through 6, he's describing to us the Trinity. Verses 4 through 6 Uh, describe um, the working of the Trinity in the body of Christ. Church, 
all of the Godhead is in this place this morning. All of the Godhead has been active in your salvation. It wasn't just Jesus dying for your sin. It was God the Father who set this whole plan in place. And then God sent the Holy Spirit to sign and seal and guarantee your full inheritance for all eternity. We are here this morning. We are gathered as the body of Christ because what the Holy Trinity has done of every single one of us. Okay? And so, verse 4, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, we're going to look at the Son, Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6, we're going to look at the Father and what He has done for our salvation. So let's look first, uh, chapter, verse 4. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Who's the one body? The one body is the church. And the church is comprised, as we've looked at Ephesians now, the church is comprised of believers. This is a believing assembly. Yes, we have folks here who do not have a relationship with Jesus uh, right now. And my encouragement, my export exhortation to you is make that decision for Christ. But when it comes to the gathered saints, it is, it is the called out. It is the predestined. It is the adopted. It is the, the sealed, the redeemed. This is the church. And this is who comes together and worships. You know, when it comes to what, how we worship, the world, the lost, isn't to tell the church well, this is how you need the church to worship. This is what I'm interested in singing, okay? This is what's going to draw the outside world. No, the world doesn't dictate what the church is to sing or how the church is to worship. The government isn't to dictate how many people we can have within our assembly or whether we're to sing with masks or without masks, that is not the government's job. It's the Word of God that tells us the importance of gathering, <laughs> the importance of coming together and encouraging one another and being in, involved in, in studying the Word of God, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. This is our responsibility that the Godhead has called us to. We are the body of Christ. And it is God who has done these things. And so we are the ones who, who believe what God has done for us. And we are the ones 
in believing this are to then proclaim the good news to other people. So that's the body. And then we see in verse 4, the body, there is one body. Okay, so we're looking at seven ones. There's only one body. There's only one true church. Again, we're talking about the church that God has called out that can be found all over the world, okay? We have many churches in Ridgecrest, okay? But all these churches who who believe and proclaim the good news of the gospel, of who Jesus is, okay? Those are the true churches, that this is the body of Christ, and there is only one body. And then there is only one spirit. And that spirit is the Holy Spirit. And that spirit is whom all the believers have. And so if you're a child of God, if you've been, if you've been predestined, you've been adopted, you've been redeemed, guess what? You have received the Spirit, you have been sealed with that Spirit, the Bible says in chapter 1, verse 14. We all have the same Spirit. And what are some of the things we know about the the Spirit? Just quickly, John 14, 16 and 17 says that the Spirit is with us and is in us, Jesus says. In John 14, chapter 26, Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but I am giving you a helper uh, who's going to come alongside you and teach you and remind you of the things that I've shared with you. John chapter 15, verse 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit bears witness of Christ and the Holy Spirit helps us to be that witness in the world. Okay? Now, Sharing Christ can be a very um, scary thing, can be very intimidating. But God has given each and every one of us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can empower us. And as you call upon the Holy Spirit and say, God, I'm fearful. God, I need you. Give me the words. Guess what? The Holy Spirit is going to give you the words. God, the Holy Spirit is going to give you the ability to share lovingly and in a humble and gentle way what God has done for those, the one that you are concerned about who doesn't know Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is in all those who believe. John chapter 16, verse 8, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin and of righteousness and the coming judgment. Okay? And so as you share, (laughs) and, uh, you know, in your anemic way, you just tell your story, guess what? It's the Holy Spirit who will be working in the life of the other person. We just have to be the, the, the witness, okay? It's the Holy Spirit that draws a person into a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
you can't win anybody. In fact, I've probably won some people as uh, pastors over the years, and guess what? If I want them, they're not saved. (laughs) But if Jesus wins them, if they come into a relationship and encounter with Jesus, it's Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms that heart in their life. There's one body. There is one spirit who is in all of those who believe. And then the Bible says, well, before I get to um, the one the one hope, let me just read Titus chapter 3. I talked about the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit that re- regenerates and makes a person new. Titus chapter 3. Uh, Verses 3 through 7 says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. You know anybody like that? Don't get proud and arrogant at this point because you were like that one time before Christ, okay? But when the goodness and loving kindness of of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So church, there's no room for pride or arrogance in any of our lives. We're only the church this morning (laughs) by the grace of God. He chose us before he made the world. He predestined us. He adopted us. He redeemed all these things. Chapter one transpired before you or I ever came upon the scene. It is Purely the grace of God done through the Holy Spirit who has regenerated us and renewed us, made us a new man in Christ. So it's the Spirit. And the Spirit helps you and I to believe these truths. The Spirit among us is so important as we worship, as we love one another, as we study the Word of God. We can't comprehend this book, church, without the Holy Spirit. And if you try to read your Bible, and you're here this morning, and it's just confusing, it's like it's just pinging against your brain. It's just going in one ear and out the other. These words are meaningless to you. Well, maybe you don't have a 
Christ because the Bible says the Holy Spirit helps us to comprehend the Word of God. Let me read one other passage. I've got lots of verses this morning, okay? So just buckle in, and uh, we're going to be here a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Paul says this about the Holy Spirit. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of God or the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, for he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. When you read the Word of God, Christian, you need the Holy Spirit. And there's, if there's something that you're not understanding, pray. Ask God, Lord, what are you trying to say here? What do you want me to believe? What I'm reading, God, I don't agree with, okay? My feelings are getting in the way. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And if it's still confusing, find a mature believer follower in Jesus Christ and help them, ask them to help you understand what the Word of God is saying. But the Spirit is there to help you understand the Word of God. We need to access the Spirit. And as we understand these things, we discovered great hope. We've got, there's one body, there is one Spirit, and number three, there is one hope. That hope Church is eternal glory. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. He gives us the Holy Spirit as the down payment to our eternal inheritance. And as we have this living relationship with God, as we, as we, go, through, as we go through this life of death, okay? This isn't the life of the living, Okay, our bodies are getting older and older and older. They are decaying, and one day they're going to die. But praise God, that's not the end of the story. Okay, for those who are in Christ, this life of death, of pain, of suffering, it's the worst it's ever going to get. For some of you, you think this life is pretty good here and now. And yes, it is in many ways. But guess what? Our hope is not here. Our hope is there. The best is yet to come. I, there's this illustration. I haven't shared it in a while. But um, there was an old lady who was preparing for her um, memorial service because she knew, she knew she didn't have many more days left here on earth. And she asked the pastor to come and plan her service. And she requested the pastor, pastor, when, um, when I'm there 
uh, in front of all my friends and family and, and uh, my spiritual family, and they open that casket, Pastor, would you make sure that there's a fork in my hand? Pastor, fork in your hand? Yes, a fork, Pastor. Yes, why a fork? And she said, oh, you know, Pastor. You know, when you're invited over to someone's house and they've prepared this wonderful meal and they're picking up the dishes and, and, uh, and the host says, now, be sure to save your fork. Pastor, you know what that means. The best is yet to come. <laughs> and I want, I want my family and my friends and my church to know that I knew the best was yet to come. That's heaven. That's eternal life. That's, that's glory. Do you have that hope today? You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to be afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of dying. I, Billy Graham said, you know, I'm not afraid of dying. Now, I might be a fearful of the process. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to be in pain, but that's not up to me. You know, that's based upon the sovereignty of God, his plan for my life. but I'm not afraid of taking my last breath here because I'm going to be with him for all eternity. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's, that's God's promise to us. That's the hope that we have as Christians. And the church the true church, the one church, knows these things. The Spirit of God has revealed it to us through the Word of God, and it gives us great hope. Oh, don't leave this service this morning not having that hope yourself. That's why God has brought you here so that he might save you and call you his own. And so there's the Holy Spirit in verse 4. Verse 5 is about Jesus Christ. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. Now let's talk about the Lord for a moment. There is one Lord. And that is referring to the person of Jesus Christ. And there's several verses I want to share with you this morning, very briefly. Um, what do we know about this one Lord, Jesus Christ? Well, number one, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, he is our one and only mediator between us and God. He, he, is, he is our great high priest who is praying for us today beseeching the Father on our behalf. And he's praying for our faith, that our faith might be strong in him. But he is our mediator. And so when we go into our prayer closet 
and we, we go to our Heavenly Father, guess what? We go through Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the only person who can save us from our sins. There's no other person. It's Jesus alone. No other name under heaven. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. There's only one. Are you sensing, are you seeing the singularity of Christianity? Okay, the exclusiveness of Christianity to the world, this is very offensive. It can't just be one way. There's many ways that lead to heaven. There's many roads. Not what the Bible says. And Jesus, the second person of the Godhead says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's only through me. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, He who believes in the Son, Jesus' words here now, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. You know, that that verse kind of caught me by surprise. I've read that verse many times. But then I read it this time and saw that the word obey is in there. Jesus says, he who believes in the Son who has eternal life. Who are the ones who believe in the Son? Those who obey the Son. He says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son will not see life. If you don't obey Christ, you don't believe in Christ. And if you do believe in Christ... Jesus says, you're going to believe in him. You're not going to just believe, but you are going to obey the son. And if you don't, well, God hasn't changed. God hasn't transformed your life and the wrath of God continues to abide on you. Again, you may not like that. It's, it doesn't matter what you like. It doesn't matter what you prefer. Get your emotions out of the way. What does the word of God say? What does Jesus say? And then in 1 John chapter 5, the Bible says this in verse 20 and 21, And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. 
And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And so there's one Lord. And that Lord is Jesus. And he is the only way to eternal life. And then Paul says, not only is there one Lord, but there is one faith. Not many faiths. One faith. One faith that preaches, that declares, the, that believes the truth of the only gospel. There is only one gospel, church. Paul had these strong words to say. Humble, gentle, patient, love one another, Paul said this to the church at Galatia. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He said, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be under a curse. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be under a curse. So we better make sure we get the gospel right. There is there is only one faith. There is only one Lord. And then Paul says there's only one baptism. And that baptism is accomplished in salvation by the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the spiritual baptism now, okay? Once you're saved, when, once you surrender your life to Christ, there's a regeneration by the Holy Spirit that takes place on the inside. He cleanses you of your sin. You die to your old self and now have been made alive to God. You are buried with Christ spiritually and risen with Christ um, to eternal life spiritually. Okay, that's what the Holy Spirit does. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. And so this was the invisible, the spiritual baptism that took place at your salvation. And so once you receive Christ, then you go through the water, the physical waters of baptism. Okay, as an act of obedience, as a declaration of your faith that you are that you're not ashamed of the gospel, that that you you are publicly declaring your allegiance to Christ and what He has done in your life, and and as you go through the waters of baptism, that water is just regular drinking water. Okay. It cannot wash away your sin. 
it, but it is a picture of when you are buried with Christ, when you go under the water, it's a picture that you have died to your old self. Uh, and when you come up out of the water, now you are a new person, you are alive to God. He did that internally, and that baptism is a physical picture. And so my question to you, have you been publicly baptized? At first, you got to believe, okay? You got to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. You got to believe the truth of chapter one of Ephesians one, all right? And uh, if, if you haven't done that part yet, let me just encourage you, believe what Paul says God has done in your life. When you surrender to him, when you believe the truth of the good news of the gospel, then you take the next step in believers' baptism. Again, it's for believers. It's not just for everybody. It's for believers. We had the Lord's Supper this last Wednesday night. That is a believer service. We believe in what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he, he gave us his body. Um, he poured out his blood so that our sin might be forgiven. This is what believers do. And so there's one baptism. There's one faith. There's one Lord. There's one hope. There's one spirit. There's one body. And so we've looked at six ones so far. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, and then the last one is verse six. There is one God and Father of all, over all, through all, and in all. Our seventh one, one God and Father of all. The Father of all. What does that mean? That means that He is He is the source of life. He is the creator of all life. He is the reason for life. He, he is the initiator of this life. He is the cause of this life. He is the father of all. And so all that we see, all the invisible that the Bible said is around us, this was all initiated by God the Father. He is the source of all. In a minute, we're going to see that he's, he shares the source with his son, okay? Jesus makes this claim about himself as well. But he is the father of all. He is over all. That means he is, so, he is absolutely sovereign over everything. Church, both the good and the bad, it, it all works according to his sovereign plan for his glory and our good. As, as much as we might, 
as hard as that is to swallow sometimes because of the things that we go through, God's in control. He, he's sovereign over all. The Bible says he is through all. So that means God the Father is imminent. He's through all. He is present and working in his creation. Okay? He's not just some distant being. No, he is imminent. He is here. He is in you. He's through, he's through all. And then number three, he is in all. That means he takes up residence in every single person. Nope. In every single believer. He is in all. Talking about the believer in Christ. So as we look at verse 7, we're not talking about pantheism in this text. Okay, what's pantheism? Pantheism is, um, is that God is in everything. No, God isn't in everything. God isn't in, well, God made the tree, but God is not the tree. We don't worship the tree. We don't worship the rocks. We don't worship the animals. Yes, God made all those things, but in pantheism, pantheism says God is in everything. No, he is over everything. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere, but not in everything. And yes, God created. And God forbids idol worship. You know, we live in an idolatrous world. And instead of worshiping the one and only creator God who created all these things, we've rejected him. And we've made gods out of things, <laughs> of material things or environmental things. And we worship a whole lot of different things. And those are our idols. And God says we, he forbids idol worship. God is creator. God is worthy of our praise and our worship. It is God and God alone. Now, let's talk about this Trinity. We've looked at the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We've looked at Jesus. We've looked at the Father. And uh, this, this idea of the Trinity is, uh, is the perfect example of oneness, of unity, of working together that's seen in the Holy Godhead and is to be a reality in the local church. God has manifested himself in three persons. Okay, you'll never read the word Trinity in the Bible, but you'll see examples of the Trinity throughout the Bible. And it starts in the very first book, in the very first chapter of Genesis chapter 1. You know, the Bible says, in the beginning, God. 
Now, look as, as you look at the name God, the name God in, in Hebrew is the word Elohim. It is the plural form of the, of the name God, El. Elohim is the plural name. And so in the beginning, God created, we're looking, we're seeing the Trinity in that very first verse. And then when you go to chapter 1, verse 26, God, the Godhead, says to one another, the three persons of the Trinity, let us make man in our own image. And so the Godhead, the Trinity, um, was speaking here in this verse, and, uh, and God formed man and woman. And you all know how that went. <laughs> you know, God created everything. God uh, told Adam and Eve, hey, you are the stewards, the, you are the managers of all that, uh, that you see. I entrust these things to you. And uh, you have freedom to enjoy this whole garden of paradise. Just avoid um, two trees. One, the tree of life. Don't go there. And don't go to the tree of good and evil. And guess what they did? They went to the tree of good and evil. And they disobeyed God. The serpent uh, deceived Eve, caused her to question what God had told her, Satan said to Eve, did God really say? <laughs> Causing her to question the authority of the word of God. You know what? God has, the Satan has been using that same strategy throughout all of history in all of mankind. Did God really say? Trying to get us to a question his authority, his sovereign will, the truth of this book. And so Eve fell for it. Adam fell for it. And we've been suffering with the consequences ever since. But in God's grace, and love and mercy, he didn't give up on Adam and Eve. He came. He knew exactly what they had done. And, and yet, in God's, in God's love, he provided a sacrifice. Uh, he saw them in their shame, in their guilt, in their nakedness. You know, they tried to make excuses. And yet, in God's providential will, God provided a sacrifice to cover their guilt and their shame and, um, and, and 
and make them and restore them into a relationship with God. This is a picture, picture of the gospel. It's a shadow of what was going to transpire uh, millenniums later in the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. But God provided, God, God covered them, and then God made us promise. He said, Eve, there's going to be a seed that, that comes um, from your body. And this seed is going to eventually be the second person of the Godhead, the person of Jesus Christ, who's going to give his all and who is going to crush the head of the serpent. And I will make things right again. Okay? That's what we see in Genesis chapter 3. And so, many years later, 1,400 years later, I believe, no, no uh, 4,000 years later, here comes Jesus. And Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. And he is, as you read the life of Christ, he is constantly declaring that he and the Father are one. That he is the God in the flesh. In church, we see this in verse Chap- verse 5 of chapter 4 in church Christians true church true believers we must believe this about Jesus Christ that Jesus and the and the father are one and the same two persons but have the same na- nature that that are both God and as you read the God, the book of John, the Gospel of John, Jesus makes this plainly clear. Let me just uh, mention several verses here, okay? Jesus says that he is one in authority with his Father concerning the Sabbath, okay? Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. And the religious people people were highly offended. You can't do anything on the Sabbath. You can't heal people. You can't forgive people of their sin. And Jesus told those religious leaders that I and the Father have authority over the Sabbath. John chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. God and the, uh, Jesus and the Father are of the same purpose. Doing Jesus is doing what he sees his father doing, Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus and the Father have the power to raise the dead. John chapter 5, verse 21. <clears throat> Jesus says that um, there is one honor between Jesus and the Father. John chapter 5, verse 23. There is one source of life between the Father and the Son. John chapter 5, verse 26. 
There is one authority. There is one judgment between Jesus and the Father in John chapter 5, verse 27, and in John chapter 14, verse 10. There is one will. Jesus only does what he sees his Father doing. John chapter 5, verse 30. There is one work, and it testifies that Jesus is from the Father. John chapter 5, verse 36. There is one name, and Jesus came in his Father's name. John chapter 5, verse 43. There is one doctrine. John chapter 7, verse 16. He only teaches what his Father has revealed to him to teach. There is only one saving faith, and that is John chapter 12, verse 44. And then there is only one glory between the Father and the Son. John chapter 17, verse 1. John chapter 17, verse 3 says, And this is eternal life, that we may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus' prayer in the garden. This is eternal life, that we might know the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Church, this is what we must have unity in. What we believe about the Godhead, what we believe about the Trinity, because it is the Trinity that unites the true church. We are believers. Not because of the good things that we've done. Not because of the choices that we've made. Not because of the family that we were born into. Not because my great-grandpa was a Baptist preacher at one point. We are only the true church, the body of Christ by the grace of God alone. Salvation by faith through grace. By by grace through faith. It is purely the grace of God who has called us and allowed us to be part of the body of Christ. We can't accomplish this. It's only the Spirit of God. And it's our job. And it's your job to teach these things. Teach these things to your children, okay? It begins in the home, mom and dad, okay? You have a responsibility to disciple your children. You know, the church is going to come alongside you and we're going to help and we'll provide resources. But you have a responsibility, I have a responsibility to teach these truths. To believe 
these truths. We're talking about the singularity, the exclusivity of Christianity. To the world, that is totally offensive. How dare you say that you're the only truth? We don't say it. The Word of God says it. We must teach it. We must believe it. And then we must proclaim it. Tell others, regardless of the circumstances. How do we tell it? Tell in love. We tell it with absolute humility and gentleness. This is this is all the grace of God. You, none of us can put ourselves on a pedestal in this room, church. God did these things in your life before you were ever even born. We just must believe. This was Paul's prayer to the church at Philippi. Paul's prayer to us this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, be being united in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Each of you should look at, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is the unity. It's not all roads lead to heaven. It's not a highway to heaven that's wide and theologically shallow. <laughs> it's not a big tent compromised uh, and full of everyone and everything. It's not unity at any and all costs. It is a specific, exclusive, designed by God and God alone, unity. It's manifested in the oneness of the Spirit, the oneness of the Son, the oneness of the Father. This is the true church. And church... May it keep us humble and gentle and patient. You know, for, for a lot of us, it, 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 it took us a long time to get to this point where we could believe. So let's be patient with those who continue to deny, who continue to rebel who continue to gravitate to the darkness. 
continue to love. Bear with one another in love. And may we be militant towards anyone who tries to teach a different gospel. There is only one. Do you believe this gospel? If not, may today be the day of your salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you. This is a lot. And um, Lord, I'm just trusting your Holy Spirit is um, convicting hearts who are affirming hearts, who are leading hearts to your presence. Holy Spirit, only you can transform hearts this, this morning. So, Lord, if there's one who's convicted of their sin, who needs to make that decision, may today be the day of your salvation, their salvation. Thank you, Father, for this uh, time of worship. As we're going to sing this hymn, nothing but the blood. Oh, the singularity of the gospel of the person of Jesus Christ, the only way to salvation. God, may you be glorified as we worship you this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all.